Hello and welcome to BSI and to today's webinar, Why is BIM good for your business? This is part of our special digital BIM conference days. We look to help and support our guests from around the world to make the best use of BIM. My name is Charlotte Brodie. I'm the Global Head of Marketing for the Built Environment at BSI, and I'm delighted to be joined by Raoul Shah and Gary Patterson. Thank you both for joining us here today. Raoul Shah is BSI's Client Director for EMEA Built Environment and brings with him direct experience from working for and with asset owners, main contractors, architects, engineers and manufacturers. With over 23 years of experience, he's held leadership roles responsible for driving digital transformation, leading on BIM strategy and implementing programs globally. And Raoul is joined by Gary Patterson, our certification technical expert for digital construction. Gary has audited BSI clients against the BIM standards from all around the world since 2013. And he plays a fundamental role in the interpreting the needs of our clients and addressing these in the development of BIM certification solutions built for industry. So to explain a little bit about BSI, many of you will be familiar with BSI as the UK's national standards body. And we have a strict governance around our business streams and are incorporated by Royal Charter. Our product portfolio is extensive and we support clients globally through shaping standards, whether this is British, international, PAS or bespoke standards, and providing technical support and guidance from our knowledge solutions business. We also provide assurance through training and certification services to help clients embed and demonstrate best practice through the adoption of standards. And we also offer consultancy. Our purpose is inspiring trust for a more resilient world. We help to shape and guide innovation through improving and standardizing business processes, products and services to enable advancement. We are independent and free from any outside influence as all profit is reinvested back into BSI to help us continue to support and drive further change. I'd also quickly like to give you a little bit of a focus on our areas and the structure of the built environment sector and how we support. But this slide captures our mission and includes a simple graphic showing how we support clients across the entire breadth of the built environment asset lifecycle. We're focusing on four key areas where clients may be facing challenges and where we are able to help. Digital transformation, regulatory and health and safety, sustainability, and supply chain and procurement. And together, we face the challenge of adapting to a next normal. And we're here to help by serving our clients and finding new ways of delivering services to support industry focused on enabling organizations to survive, stabilize, rebuild, and become more resilient. And this means working together, listening to industry needs, and shaping solutions that reflect and meet industry pain points, which is exactly the approach we have taken with BIM. So this is what today's webinar looks like uh, for the main session. Um, Raoul is going to give you a, a quick recap on the, the basic principles of BIM, and he'll also talk to you about uh, BIM adoption as a strategic route to rebuilding a commercial future. 
and why should your organisation adopt BIM and what are the business benefits? So he will walk you through those. Plus also, where should you start if you are right at the beginning and you don't yet have a BIM strategy? And then he will also walk you through how you can convince senior business leaders and their ultimate clients to adopt a BIM strategy. And then Gary Patterson will explain what uh, BIM ISO 19650 parts one and two, the standards are, and how these support business opportunities. Then we'll share a little bit of information about where to go for further information, and we'll have a Q&A session. And I should also mention, don't worry um, if you've just joined, that uh, these slides and the recording will be available um, at the end of today's session. So I'll now hand over to Raoul. Thanks, Charlotte, and thanks for having me. Uh, hello, everyone. So today's topic is BIM, Building Information Modeling. So what is it? BIM is a collaborative way of working. It defines a set of processes for management, production, and exchange of information throughout the project lifecycle, right from design through to construction and operation of a building. Just thought, you know, put that, that in perspective. So moving on, moving on to the next slide, please. Can BIM help us uh, building a bright commercial future for our sector? And to, to answer that question, we should look at some of the top priorities uh, from the asset owners, the governments, and the clients around the world. And what are the top top priorities? Number one, reducing construction as well as whole life costs. Number two, is substantial reduction of environmental impact. By the way, not in any particular order. But and and then number three, responding to ever increasing urbanization. And how can we how can we use technologies and digital ways of doing things uh, to support these aspirations? And BIM is seen as the first step towards uh, addressing uh, these challenges, stroke opportunities. Uh, um, many governments and economies around the world are putting a lot of measures and taking a lot of innovative, uh, you know, innovative uh, methods such as modern methods of constructions, offsite manufacturing, uh, design for manufacturing assemblies, robotics, 3D printing, and so forth. Uh, back in 2018, World Economic Forum, for instance, published this action plan to accelerate building information modeling, uh, working with various stakeholders across the globe. Moving on, so why is cost and productivity is such an important uh, priority for clients and asset owners? Uh, from the charts on the screen, you can see taken from the UK data, but 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 the cost and productivity, you know, challenges exist in many parts of the world. So on the left hand side, you can see that the red line, the cost of construction uh, historically kept ever increasing compared to other industries in black line, represented by black line. Um, on the right hand side, productivity you know, in construction has hardly improved compared to other industries, you know, and there is a massive difference there. So we can see why it is high on the agenda. Moving on to the next, sustainability. I mean, we all know that climate change is a real challenge for the humankind, but from sector perspective, uh, how do we contribute to that 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 challenge um and and we can see here that the resource use point of you almost 40 percent of the energy is used by you know the built environment globally 
massive number raw materials uh, used you know by 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 the built environment 30% and if you look at the, the the bottom figures you know the pollution and emission you know and co2 emissions for instance almost 40% of co2 contribution is you know by by the built environment globally solid waste generations you know and therefore landfills and all those challenges that we are having in 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 the industry and, and globally so uh, no doubt why why sustainability is high on the agenda for our sector if we were to make an impact on climate and in climate change moving on urbanization this is a really great opportunity for the sector to actually help world uh, you know, meet this rapidly increasing urbanization demand. I mean, according to United Nations stats, by 2050, almost 70% of the world's population will be living in uh, urban areas. And this is massive, you know, and, and how can clients and governments uh, around the world can meet this uh, rapidly increasing demands? How can we build faster? And hence, we are looking at modern methods of deliveries. Uh, moving on. So why should your organization then adopt BIM? To answer that question, I would like to point out a couple of things. First is consider your business performance parameters. You know, how, how is your business, uh, you know, um, um, judged based, you know, on, on, on its performance? Is it time? Is it cost? Is it quality? Is it safety? Is it sustainability? Are there any other parameters? that you consider as part of your business performance, or is it all of them, right? And can BIM help us enhance our business performance in any of those parameters? So that's number one, I think you should think about. Number two, moving on, looking at the future dynamics in the industry and emerging disruptions, for instance, digitalization of products and processes, um, new materials, new methods of constructions, the 3D printing, robotics, uh, you know, offsite manufacturing, uh, the investment that the people are making in technology and human resources nowadays, couple, couple that with the, you know, the shortage of skilled labor and all those, you know, future dynamics, consider that and put your business in perspective and think, you know, how can we be more relevant in the future if we weren't to play in that environment? So consider that. So performance parameters and the relevance of the business in the future to, 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 to begin with. Moving on, so when it comes to BIM and you start thinking, why should my organization adopt BIM? Obviously, you need to, to think about the benefits that it can bring to you and, 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 and tangible benefits, the quantifiable. And, and to do so, you must consider the role that you play in the industry. So for instance, if you're a client organization, you know, some of the benefits that uh, BIM and digitalization can offer you uh, during design, construction and operations are not only improved time and cost certainty, but also say, for instance, better visibility of design and construction and operation processes uh, throughout the life cycle of, of, of an asset. You know, traditionally, as a client, you would be getting, you know, hundreds and thousands of drawings and, and, and schedules and other documents to to understand the, the design, you know, the, the asset design versus now in a built, you know, beam environment, you have a virtual, uh, you know, version of that design that is, you know, so you got better visibility of that design and construction processes. But also with our aspirations towards smart cities and smart nations and smart communities, uh, you as a client want to have digital built asset as well. 
and we all know now in today's world data is the next oil right so so how can you build uh, that digital asset of your own you know as part portfolio asset portfolio and beam is seen as 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 an underpinning technology to do so you know and start capturing the digital data right from the design all the way through to construction commissioning and take it into operations moving on so for example one of our clients that we work with uh, roads and transport authority in dubai uh, they implemented beam using you know structured approach uh, at a business level and using all the standards approach and in their own words they are seeing um, for example on the on the right hand side of the slide you can see uh, they are experiencing you know cost reductions up to almost 10 percent this is massive as well as the time savings up to 15 percent on average but not only that it has allowed them to improve collaborations and communications among the supply chain and and they are able to make decisions now the, 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 you know, for instance, traditionally it used to take them weeks. Now they are able to make those decisions in, in minutes and hours. So this is massive. Moving on, if you are a designer, obviously there are plenty of benefits for you as well as a designer uh, with respect to BIM. Not only just the class detections and better design coordination, but it also improves productivity. How can it improve productivity? For instance, you know, you can have your entire design palette as a, as a digital design palette that you can reuse, you know, time and time again, for instance. So, um, you know, it's simply, you know, it improves your productivity because you are able to reuse your design elements and methodologies and, 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 and so forth workflows uh, through your digital design palettes. But it also enables you to to embed that that design for manufacturing and assembly approach because you are now dealing with you know the digital objects and and you are using the digital design palette during your design phase you are able to contribute uh, towards the design for manufacturing and assembly approach right from the beginning when before the construction teams gets on board so there are massive benefits for the design uh, teams design consultants as well for instance, moving on, uh, working with uh, one of our clients, Wilmot Dixon's, for example, and scanning 277 of their BIM projects, you know, they are seeing uh, greater benefits as well, adopting this digital way of working, not only in terms of the time certainty and program certainty and customer satisfactions, but in their own words, one of the major benefits that they are, they are seeing is the ability to drive more data-driven informed decisions during design as well as construction and after handover to their customers so this is this is massive as well you know as, as a designer moving on if you are a main contractor and subcontractor uh, there are even greater benefits uh, to be had you know with bim for instance you can improve your planning as well as safety planning um, on sites and for the whole construction. Traditionally, you would be using spreadsheets or gang charts or P6 and, and, and other tools to do your, your sequencing and programming. Now with BIM, you can have BIM models linked with the time element and you can use that for uh, enhancing planning and, 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 and embedding the collaborative planning. Likewise, the safety planning. Uh, traditionally, you, the team would be using the drawings, paper drawings and their own experience, you know, to 
to identify risk versus now you have a virtual environment of, of the design whereby you can uh, identify high, you know, the safety risk as well as rehearse uh, risky installation sequences uh, and, and improve safety on site. Another benefit that you can have as a contractor um, is reducing waste and therefore improving the sustainability agenda for your business. Uh, as well as reducing rework. It's every contractor's dream to get, get it right first time. And using virtual environment in BIM, you are able to actually reduce rework massively and therefore protect your bottom line. And there are other benefits as well you can have as a main contractor, uh, subcontractor, for instance, global procurement and modularizations, work winning and so forth. Moving on, Working with uh, one of our clients, uh, if we move on, please, uh, Taylor Woodrow, the Civil Engineering Division of Minji Construction. Um, they've, they've adopted BIM in a, in a very structured way, implementing, you know, the standards and, and working across, um, you know, most of the projects and implementing BIM. They are seeing a lot of benefits, not only in terms of time and cost savings, but also, very interestingly, um, you know, resulting in fewer disputes. And as a contractor, you know, this is another, you know, dream come true that how can we, you know, enhance our relationship with our stakeholders uh, and, and therefore uh, have uh, minimum disputes, um, um, you know, on, on our projects and, and for our business. So it's massive as well. Moving on. Um, uh, last but not the least, if you are a manufacturer, uh, there are plenty of benefits you can have uh, through BIM also, not only enabling the innovative manufacturing methods such as 3D printing and robotics, because now you have a digital you know, information about the products that you're manufacturing, but also having the global reach to specifiers across the globe you know, without leaving your office. So once you have your products, you know, and, and have digital library created, you can put, you know, put those libraries in front of the architects, engineers, the specifiers, uh, you know, in, in a digital way. Um, and that in turn um, helps you grow your business. So moving on, for instance, uh, one of our clients, Legrand, you know, experienced, uh, you know, increase in their sales through, you know, just having converting their product libraries into BIM object library that the customers around the world could access and specify during the early design stage. So it's, it's a massive benefit for manufacturers as well. Moving on. So where should you start if BIM has that many benefits to, to offer to everybody in the supply chain, this, you know, the whole construction supply chain. Where should you start? Um, my recommendation, strongest recommendation would be treat it as an organizational change. Um, and believe me or not, because BIM is not something like another silo that you create in your business and have dedicated people driving it. Of course, you need people driving the change within your business, but consider it as a change because now you would be engaging with the various functions, such as if you're a main, you know, main contractor, design management, procurement, project management, site management, quality, safety, and so many other. And BIM is about digitizing and structuring information, right? It's about information management. Therefore, it cuts across all the divisions. So it's a slightly different take rather than just the 3D modeling or, or, or nice visuals. So treat it as, a, as an organizational change and start putting the change management program around it. Moving on, next. So when you start thinking 
of PIM as an organizational change, the first and foremost, uh, you need to think about why and what are the drivers for my business and, and include that as part of your BIM strategy. If you don't have one, that's the, you know, the best starting point I would recommend. You start with a BIM strategy for your business, uh, no matter how big or small you are, or have some, some, some roadmap prepared and part of that why. Consider external drivers as well as internal drivers. In terms of external drivers, are there any government mandates in the countries that we operate in? Are there any sector-wide changes that could impact our relevance in, you know, in the future? Or is there any external opportunities that are mandating BIM and therefore we might miss it? Uh, for example, externally. Internally, there is always the productivity and efficiency improvement, you know, drive within businesses. So consider that work winning, obviously business growth, increased sustainability, obviously, and then there might be other drivers as well. So find out those drivers and link those drivers as, as, a, as a starting point. Why BIM in our business? Then think about moving on um, to the next slide, please. Once you consider why, think about how. How am I going to mobilize BIM in my business and throughout my you know, portfolio projects and, and assets? Consider the procedures, the governance that you will have to put in place to get the consistency across the board. Consider, consider some uh, regional standards as well as international standards. And we are fortunate to have ISO standards on BIM now. And my colleague Gary you know, would, would, would speak to you in a few minutes about ISO 1970 part one and part two to help us implement BIM at the business level. Think about the QA checks that you, you, you should have at various gateway processes. Also think about KPIs and how to monitor the progress and implementation and what the success and good looks like. And, and, and also put in some measures to continuously improve your journey in, in your journey and, and the whole BIM implementation. Moving on to the next. Once you consider how and the business governance and the KPIs and monitoring progress, think about what resources you need. Uh, do you need uh, hardware? Do you need software? But also think about the, the people. Do you need the extra people, additional people, or is it the, you know do we need to train them in in various skill sets? Also consider the budget, initial budget that you might need, as well as allow good time to implement because this is a change management program, remember, so it's not going to happen overnight. So allow good time. Moving on to the next slide, please. When? So depending on the type of, uh, you know, depending on the role that you play in the industry, whether you're a main contractor or architect or engineer or, or asset owner, you know, think about your own project gateway processes. For example, you know, the typical subcontractor or a main contractor, it could be bidding stage, you know, is it at the bidding stage that we would, you know, start implementing BIM or is it once we win the job and then during mobilization of, of the project team or is it during procurement while we are procuring the services, construction or commissioning or, or during handover. So consider the project gateway processes, the, the gateways that you have in your business and try and align timing in terms of BIM interface with those gateway processes. Moving on to the next, please. And then last but not the least, think about who. Who needs to be part of this change program? Is it just the BIM people? Absolutely not. Um, because people at all levels will have to interface with this change and contribute towards this change management in terms of, you know, how do we embed this information management culture 
and mindset within the organization. So think about the roles and responsibility at all levels and how um, they should contribute towards it. And based on that, put together uh, an upskilling plan, a training plan uh, for uh, your staff, business staff. If possible, and if your culture and the business processes allow, sit down with HR and you know try and align some uh, you know personal goals with with the BIM implementation goals as well. So see if you can embed that as part of the culture. Um, so that's all in all, you know, in terms of the strategy. Moving on, please. So in terms of you know business strategy, some of the key components you think about those why, what, how, you know, when, and who should be involved. So the next question you might ask, how can I convince my senior leaders or our clients? Well, the obvious route for your senior leaders is, you know, start with the strategy, obviously, and, and put together a robust strategy. But also part of the strategy, also think about, you know, some of these elements, you know, market trends, you know, what, what, is, what does it tell me? You know, the, where, where is the market moving towards? What's the future? What does the future look like? What are the competition doing in this case? And also most important thing, is there any case studies with the real tangible business benefits outline, like some of what we, we showed you today? Think about the return on investment, uh, as well as brand value and thought leadership, for example. And how can it help you, implementing BIM can help you future-proof your business. And ultimately, how can you help you win more business? Because there are projects whereby, um, you know, BIM is mandated and you may not be able to bid for projects if you cannot demonstrate the BIM capability, for instance. Moving on. So to help you, to help you all with BIM implementation, not only just the strategies and you know the case studies and ROIs, but you also have, and we are fortunate to have that we have this international standard ISO 19650 that I, I, I talked about early on, and my colleague Gary Pattison will talk about it part one and part two. But what it boils down to, it's about information management. And when we talk about information management, it's about organization of information, structuring it in a proper way, as well as digitalization of information. So those two things are part of the information management and my colleague Gary will, will, will talk to you about that. So thank you very much for listening in and, and your patience. Uh, Charlotte, back to you. Thank you, Raul, and uh, lots of information there for people to think about around strategy, um, certainly around convincing senior leaders, etc. So I hope you found that useful. Um, before I hand over to Gary, um, we would just like to run a little poll for you um, and to make sure that you can complete the poll. Um, if you step out of full screen mode, then I'm told that that will help you answer the question. So. What we would love to know is um, where do you see the biggest benefit through BIM adoption? Um, is it time and cost savings? Is it career development, uh, business opportunities, safer construction sites or reduced risk? So those are our five options for you. Um, would be great if you wouldn't mind just uh, choosing one of those. Obviously, there are other benefits as well, but um, we've just picked uh, five here today for you to select. Um, and uh, I'm just waiting for the results to come in. Uh, just to remind people, there is a little book of BIM as a, a download for you. If you haven't yet done that, then um, please do uh, get your copy. Um, we found it to be a very useful little tool that uh, that people can use to 
get to grips with acronyms and uh, some of the basic information around BIM. And uh, Gary Patterson, who's on the webinar today, was instrumental, I have to say, in, um, in helping develop that and refreshing it over the years. So um, I'm just going to see how we're doing on our polls. And uh, yes, perhaps we could share the results now. Um, just looking and interestingly, um, the highest percentage for uh, benefits wise is time and cost savings, which um, is a, a very good place to be because that is, as Gary said to me earlier, is what BIM is all about. Um, and 22% of you said business opportunities. So being able to win work, uh, potentially differentiate yourselves in your, your marketplace as well. And then number three, uh, reduced risk, of course, which is all connected. So thank you very much for taking part in that. Um, and I'm now going to hand over to uh, Gary, who is going to talk through ISO 19650 parts one and two for BIM and how this supports business. Thanks, Charlotte. Um, hi, hi, everyone. Yeah, my name is Gary Patterson. So I work in the insurance part of BSI. So I'm responsible for the uh, management of all of our BIM certification schemes. So today I'm going to give you a brief um, outline of the standards landscape and how and how, how we're using standards to, to, to define BIM and ensure that BIM is uh, adopted correctly. Um, I'm going to give a very brief introduction to some of the requirements of ISO 19650-2. I'm then going to give maybe a small bit of insight into um, how uh, globally BIM is being adopted and uh, what um, governments can do to and organizations can do to help promote the use of BIM. Uh, and lastly, we'll be talking about how BSI can help you on your BIM journey um, at whatever stage you are. So moving on from there. Here we can move on. Yeah, and again. Great. Okay, so over the over recent years, we've made we've made really good progress in defining BIM processes through the 1192 series of standards. Um, and as, as a certification body, we've seen uh, the adoption of these standards globally, in particular, PAS 1192-2 um, has been widely adopted. But moving on from here, um, in December to 2018, ISO 19650 parts one and parts two were published. So these replaced their counterparts in the 1192 suite of standards, um, uh, which have been withdrawn, which, which means they are no longer being updated and they've now been formally replaced. So, that for, so for those of you that are already familiar with, with the likes of BS1192 and PAS1192-2, um, uh, and perhaps have already made progress, uh, already embedding this into your organization to a, to a degree, there's a very useful document, PD1950-0, which gives guidance on making such a transition. So this is great news that we're, 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 we're internationalizing BIM, creating a truly global way of, of, of delivering. But it doesn't stop there. So moving on from here, we um, had the publication of ISO 19650 today, which is great news. This defines um, a, a security-minded approach for BIM. Um, we're hoping that, well, uh, PAS 1192-3, which defines BIM asset management, that will be published sometime this year. Um, next year, um, we should see the publication of BS of oh, sorry of ISO 19650-4, um, previously known as COBE, uh, and that that describes the 
um, uh, a schema for the transfer of uh, inf transfer of information on maintainable assets. And then we also have um, PAS 1190-6 on health and safety, and that may or may not be transitioned to an ISO. So we're in a really great position where um, for this 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 um, internationalization of BIM. So if we can move on from there. So what is in the scope of ISO uh, 19650 parts one and parts two? So part one, this sets out, that sets out the framework and core principles of BIM. So um, it talks about such things as the CDE or the common data environment, which I'll talk about shortly. Um, and and, and the, the, the core concept of collaborative working. It's applicable across the whole life cycle of the assets, that's design, construction, and in use phase of the asset life cycle. And for those of you that are familiar with, with um, how standards are written, it's it's made up of should clauses. So this this these are advisory clauses that describes best practice. Uh, with part two, having established the framework in part one, part two then gives the specific requirements that one must adopt when applying BIM um, uh, during the design and construction phase where this is made up of shall clauses. So these are the prescriptive clauses. That these, these give you direct processes and outputs that you need to follow. Um, uh, it gives details of outputs such as um, EIRs, BEPs, for those of you that are already familiar with, with um, uh, BIM jargon, for those that aren't, forgive me. Um, uh, but importantly, it's written in a way that allows flexibility and proportionate, uh, proportional adoption, ensuring that BIM is applicable across the whole uh, spectrum of project sizes and complexities. Okay, moving on. So I want to focus on um, parts one and two today, but it's important to understand um, the other areas of BIM and how they relate to each other. So uh, PAS Elemental 3 this defines BIM processes for the asset management phase of the asset lifecycle. Here, they're, they're direct inputs, input and output relationships with ISO 19650-2. Um, as a whole, we've seen that the asset management community is less mature when it comes to BIM than the design and construction community. But it's important to understand this is where most of the, the cost savings can be made. When you look at the relative durations of design and construction versus the asset management phase, um, this is where the real money can be saved or, or the real benefits can be, uh, the most benefits can be achieved with BIM. So it's very important we don't ignore this, this, um, uh, this, this standard. Puzzle MNC-5 um, and the newly published um, ISO 19650-5. So this defines as the, a security-minded approach when using BIM. Uh, it defines an in, in, uh, holistic approach to security. So that covers process, personnel, uh, physical security, technological security, and it's particularly um, uh, important if you're in, if you're involved in the production or management of sensitive information, uh, maybe related to sensitive assets, such as if you're involved in national infrastructure, um, uh, uh, assets involved in government, law, or military purposes. Anywhere is going to be a crowded place. So all the all these, if 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 you're involved in those types of projects and more, um, security is obviously very important. And lastly, PAS 1192-6 on health um, describes how um, health and safety information can be specified and managed using uh, the processes of BIM. So here we have a real potential to improve health and safety. And this is, this is done through um, uh, the use of uh, uh, improving the foresight 
of potential health and safety issues um, by ensuring that um, uh, through, through BIM uh, technologies and ensuring that uh, in the right health and safety information is available to the people that need it. And crucially, it brings together health and safety and information management. Moving on from there. I thought it might be useful just to have a, um, a quick view of how these standards map onto um, a simplified asset lifecycle. Um, uh, yeah, so as you see, the, the, what we're talking about today is the ISO 19650-2. We do see the other, other there are many other standards that are relevant to this particular phase. Okay, can we move on from there? So, um, ISO 19650 has been written in a way, has been developed and written in a way to complement our, our, our much loved um, management system standards. So, um, uh, so those of you that are familiar with such standards as um, ISO 9001, 45001, et cetera, um, uh, the, the ISO 19650 has been written in a way to, to complement these standards and to build on these standards. And it does so by using uh, uh, the plan, do, check, act principles of these standards, um, uh, the focus on client satisfaction and learning and improving um, based on, on lessons learned during your projects. And in this way, we ensure that BIM process, processes are not siloed, but become um, part of your business as usual, which is something that um, Rao spoke strongly about in the previous talk. We move on to the next slide, please. So now I'm going to give you a very brief introduction to some of the outputs of ISO 19650-2. Before I do that, it's important to understand your role and functions within the BIM project. So ISO 19650-1 and 2 defines processes and outputs that relate to defined actors within an appointment. So at the heart of a project team is the, appoint is the appointing party. So that's A or client. Um, the appointing party will then have a direct contractual relationship with one or more lead appointed parties or tier one organizations throughout the project. And this lead appointed party is responsible for their delivery team's information management, um, where the delivery team is made up of one or more task teams whose, whose makeup is aligned to specific deliverables. Um, so this is why it's key to understand where you fit in with this. Um, uh, so with with this, um, the ISO is written in a way that does allow some flexibility on, of the delivery and management of some of the requirements. But um, as I said, it's it's important to understand where you fit into this um, with respect to your your responsibilities of management and and deliverables with respect to BIM. Moving on from that. Um, so the first feature I want to talk about uh, of BIM is, is the common data environment or the CDE. So this, um, this is one of the core principles of, uh, of BIM and the CDE sets out um, uh, the, the process or, or series of processes for storing, management and uh, disseminating information across the project. So one of the core inefficiency, inefficiencies that BIM addresses um, is the unstructured management of information. So um, information is unavailable, it's unfindable, there's duplication of information, Inf um, there's undefined information purpose or state of maturity. And the, the CD addresses all of these by establishing 
a common project-wide set of processes. Um, some of the features of these of the CD include um, using unique identification of information containers. So that's things like um, ensuring there's a common uh, project-wide structure of naming files, um, uh, managing data through uh, managing information through metadata. So this will give information on um, the status um, or, uh, and purpose of particular particular files and, and models. Um, uh, controlled access to, inf uh, to information at, information at container level. So ensuring that the right people have access to the information they need. Um, and the ability of information containers to transition between states. So this is a diagram or an iteration of the diagram that you may be familiar with. Um, so you know, uh, principally have a, a, a WIP state, which is where um, we store unapproved information um, the shared the shared state, which is where um, information is shared across the project team. Once the client approves um, such information, it moves to the published. And of course, we have the archive, which is an audit trail of all um, previous iterations of, of a particular file. Now, this is a massive simplification of, of the CDE. Um, so I invite you to, um, to get a copy of the standards and to, um, to get much more of the detail behind it. So if we move on to the next slide. So one of the core lessons um, learned from uh, during BIM's adolescence is the need to have better engagement with the, with the appointing parties or the clients. So we need more BIM specified projects. We need better clarity on the specific information production and management requirements from the appointing parties. Um, there needs to be more appreciation of the benefits of BIM to the appointing parties. And uh, this is captured with the, the, start in the start of the end in mind philosophy of BIM. So 19650 helps us embrace these features by having much more focus and depth in the activities surrounding BIM specification at project level. And we see several more clauses detailing activities and outputs relating to this. So, so one of these requirements is the project information requirements or the PIR. So the PIR defines information requirements that should be prepared for each of the appointing parties' key decision points during the project, i.e. Uh, what information do I need as an appointed party to ensure that my project milestones have been reached. We then have the information standard. This defines um, how um, information should be exchanged, uh, structured, uh, the level of information need, amongst other things. We have the information production method and procedures. This talks about um, how uh, the creation, the review and approval of information, the security of information, amongst other things. And then we have the information protocol, which talks about things like um, the intellectual property rights, the use of existing asset information, and, and the use of shared resources, um, etc. So moving on from this, these are then captured in the EIR or the Exchange Information Requirements, um, and this is the this is the um, this is the output that will be used um, uh, at the invitation to tender, and where this is this is the output that um, lead appointed parties will use to uh, when bidding for the project um, itself. So moving on from there. So um, one of the key outputs that the lead appointed party will produce uh, during the bidding is uh, the pre-appointment BIM execution plan. Um, 
this is essentially a the output that defines how the lead appointed party and their delivery team is going to meet the specific project requirements contained in the EIR. Um, in doing this, they'll also need to ensure that their task team uh, um, has the capability and capacity to deliver against the specific requirements. They need to understand um, the relative risks of non-timely delivery of information. Uh, they need to ensure that their delivery team, um, uh, that there's a mobilization plan to ensure they have the right software, skills, knowledge to, to meet the specific requirements of the project. Moving on from there. So once the appointment has been made, the selected lead appointed party will then need to re-establish their delivery team's information management commitments. This is done through the uh, post-appointment BIM execution plan, which gives more detail, much more detail in, in, in how the EIR will be met. Um, uh, the production of the master information delivery plan, which is the schedule of all the deliverables, um, contractual deliverables that, um, that the delivery team will, will produce. And that itself is a combination of all of the task-specific delivery plans or the TIDPs, which are um, the schedule of deliverables um, aligned to the specific task teams. And lastly, we have the information management assignment matrix. This is where we clarify at the outset of the project who's responsible for what, and this goes down to a clause by clause level. So there's this real clarity about, about the responsibility um, um, of, of who's doing what. So ISO 19650-2 then goes on to describe the process of delivery, which is the, the, the key area. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stop here in terms of going, going through the detail, but um, it describes um, the project information model delivery, um, uh, model coordination and clash detection activities, the information approval requirements. Um, so I just want to give you a flavor of, um, of, some, of the, some of the outputs of, of the standard itself. So moving on from there. Um, I thought it might be useful just a, a quick summary um, of, of the kind of the key responsibilities uh, with, the, with the three key roles um, within a BIM project. So if you're an appointing party, what's, what's your responsibility? So you have your, your responsibility is specifying and the communication of information requirements and ensuring that your project team can meet your specific information requirements. If you're a lead appointed party, you need to um, uh, understand and communicate the client specific requirements and in most cases specify your own information requirements to the delivery team. You need to ensure your delivery team can meet the information requirements and of course you need to produce and validate the information um, produced. Um, if you're an appointed party um, you need to ensure that you can meet the your task team information requirements and you need to of course produce and validate any information that you produce and all this needs to be done Within the common data environment, uh, which is which has collective responsibility in terms of management. Moving on from there. So I've already mentioned um, the guidance document PD 19650-0. Um, there are there are also um, two guidance documents published by the UK BIM Framework, uh, which have which has had many contributors, and these are great tools that you can download for free. So I invite you to look these in, look these up on the internet, and um, uh, they're, they're, they're great tools. So moving on from there. So my last slide, um, 
So we've seen uh, um, different levels of BIM adoption globally. Now, of course, there are standout organizations that are, that are leading this path and becoming thought leaders in the space. But as a whole, we see that the level of BIM uptake can be linked uh, uh, to the degree to which BIM specifications be, uh, BIM specifications being made by clients. And what we're seeing is uh, more and more national governments are realizing the benefit, benefits that they can achieve through BIM. Um, and here are just a couple of examples or a few examples of some of the, the mandates and conditions, conditions of contracts that, that particular governments have been using. So you're probably all familiar with the UK um, BIM level two condition of contract. Um, Hong Kong had a, had a, um, a, a, a BIM condition of contract where, with a threshold value of $30 million for their, um, their, their uh, government projects. Italy are using a staged approach where um, uh, government projects um, need, to be used, need to be using BIM and they're going to lower the threshold or the cap where BIM is applicable from over the course of 2019 to 2025 so that BIM becomes business as usual. So we see here, um, and there are other examples of this, uh, more and more nations are, are want, to, want to get a piece of the, um, of the benefit of BIM and so are, are creating, uh, creating incentives and requirements to ensure that BIM is adopted um, at a national level. With that, I'm going to pass back to um, Charlotte, who's going to talk about how BSI can help you um, wherever you are on your BIM journey. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Gary. Uh, lots of good technical detail there. And as Gary says, there's lots more for people to uncover. Um, so what I'd like to share with you really is a, a BIM journey, um, which we have here at BSI. Uh, of course, it starts with the standards, um, getting your own copy of the standards and reading them and, and getting to grips with them. Um, we also offer a, a whole suite of training courses, which really get to grips with the, those standards in more detail um, and also we have courses such as the senior management briefing or senior management workshop so to help people at that sort of strategic level level and, and planning level um, also coming soon are some BIM training qualifications that we're very excited about. Um, please watch this space. Uh, we're going to be running another webinar on the 30th of July um, with Raul again, uh, and we'll be um, walking you through those and discussing certain things around um, qualifications for individuals. A gap assessment um, is also a useful service that we offer and uh, we know that clients do find this valuable. Um, we, our auditors will uh, look at how you are working against the standards um, and identify the gaps. So it is then down to you to, you know, make steps to, uh, to remedy those, um, but a very useful tool to understand exactly where you are um, against the standards and how you are doing. And then finally, uh, certification and beyond. Um, we offer a, a, a good number of uh, certification schemes with our mark of trust um, and clients around the world uh, are certified through the, uh, the BSI Kite Mark um, and find real value in it. So there you are. That's a, a nice journey there for you, um, depending on where you are and uh, your level of expertise and experience. So 
The next uh, piece for today's webinar is to ask you um, if you would be very kind enough to complete um, our poll. And we, we really want to know, um, as I said at the beginning of today's session, we are here to help and support. So if you need some advice on our services or are looking for information, um, please select the appropriate option. Step out of full screen mode, as I said before, um, and there you are on the screen. We can help you with um, standards, including standard subscription services, and of course the new ISO 19650-5 that has been launched today. Uh, the gap analysis I mentioned to see where you are, BIM training and qualifications either for you as an individual or your supply chain partners or your team, uh, the BSI Market Trust to validate your BIM abilities, um, or a copy of the Digital World of Transformation report, which is something that we um, published a little while ago, which looks at all different types of um, digital technology, which are clearly impacting uh, industry today and uh, things again for people to think about um, as you get more into that digital journey. So do select a copy of that if you find that is going to be of interest. Um, and I'd now like to um, open up our uh, Q&A session. Um, and we have got a, a number of questions in from our um, audience. So thank you very much for taking part. Um, I'd like to ask Raoul uh, a question first of all. Um, Raoul, this is for uh, an asset owner. Um, you mentioned a BIM strategy. As an asset owner, what else should we consider when starting our BIM journey? Charlotte, uh, for asking that question, very interesting question. Um, as I said already, you know, the BIM strategy for your asset portfolio and your business should answer you know, some of the logistical questions in terms of how, when, what, why, and, you know, and, and, and so forth. But another most important element I would recommend that you should consider if you are a client organization is that how are you going to procure services of designers, main contractors, and other suppliers, and, and, and therefore look at the contracts, appointment contracts, and, and look at the legal framework that you are, uh, you know, uh, providing to your uh, suppliers, uh, because BIM is a highly collaborative. Uh, you know, BIM, BIM, BIM needs a highly collaborative environment, and 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 clients have a role to play to foster that culture of collaboration uh, through legal framework and procurement routes, so that uh, you know people can exchange information and collaborate uh, without worrying. Uh, uh, about any adversarial, you know, uh, effects, legal adversarial impact on their relationship with each other. So, yeah, to cut the long story short, yeah, look at the procurement contracts, appointment contracts, and ensure that um, you are embedding BIM requirements in in a right way. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And um, Gary, a question for you. Um, could you explain what is uh, the level of information need? Could you share with us what that means? Sure. Thank, thanks, Charlotte. Um, yeah. So one of the um, one of the issues um, that BIM uh, tries to address is is the overproduction of information, which of course has a cost a cost associated with it. Um, so so all information that's that's generated on a project um, 
should have should have purpose and should have use, and and uh, uh, and it should ideally not exceed uh, this information. So so it's all information is usable. So level informa information need defines the degree of of uh, graphical and non-graphical associ uh, information associated with a particular deliverable. So this will be aligned or, or mapped against a um, uh, delivery schedule. And uh, and uh, perhaps a good example of that is um, is um, through uh, BIM objects. So um, what we see is, um, I mean, it's great that manufacturers are are digitizing their 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 products and making these making these available. Um, but uh, initially, we sometimes see is is the overproduction of of graphical information within the model within the BIM object, um, so much so that it can it can weigh down your BIM models um, to the point where um, they become impractical, which kind of defeats a lot of the purpose of having them. So uh, one of the key things, uh, so level of information need defines the the degree of information uh, um, that needs to be supplied, and this should be aligned to the purpose and use of that information. Thank you, Gary. And uh, a question for Raoul. Um, how do we measure our BIM maturity against global best practice? Um, well, there are two ways. Um, um, you know, the, the, the non-standard way, I would call it, you know, DIY approach where you can just, um, you know, um, uh, look at what's outside, you know, considered as a global best practice and case studies and compare your business maturity against some of the case studies and stories that you hear. A bit of a DIY, I wouldn't recommend that approach. Uh, what I would recommend is that, uh, you know, use uh, uh, an independent organization to validate and, and verify your BIM maturity against against the global standards and benchmarks. For instance, at BSI, um, we have uh, you know the BIM kite marks um, uh, that 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 is adopted by you know many organizations around the world. So, um, you know, using using that as a benchmarking tool, you can see you know you can use that as a barometer to gauge where you are in the journey with respect to other uh, you know industry players globally. So that would be my recommendation. Okay, thank you, okay. Raoul. And uh, a question now for Gary. Um, and we've had another sort of similar question in a few questions in actually around the CDE. So uh, this is who is responsible for managing the CDE and how long should the CDE be up after the project is complete? Okay, thanks, Charlotte. Um, so yes, the, so the responsibility of management of, um, for the CDE um, will vary from project to project. So of course this needs to be defined and um, the lead appointing party can specify who they want to um, who they want to manage the CDE. But what we see in practice is that um, this, this kind of central management of the CDE um, may change as the project progresses. So um, you might have um, a, a lead designer or a lead appointed party designer um, who's responsible at the design phase. Um, uh, the lead contractor, they'll be responsible for the CDE or, or managing the CDE during the construction. And of course, at handover, um, whoever's, whoever's assigned to manage the asset management themselves, they'll be responsible during that phase. Um, but as part of that, um, there's also some variability. So firstly, uh, it's important to understand that a CDE could be made up of several different interoperable softwares. Okay, they all, they all have to use the... Uh, 
the, uh, the common set of processes, but they can be they can be different platforms. And of course, we know the WIP areas are the work in progress areas. Um, they will typically be um, uh, uh, the individual appointed parties' own servers and systems, so they'll be working in their own environments. Um, typically, as I said, the the shared area is hosted by, say, you know, the lead appointed party, and in many cases, um, the client will want to host the published area. And we've seen cases where, particularly for um, security sensitive projects, the client wants to host the whole of the CDE. So, so there's there's a lot of variability into um, uh, who's managing what part of the CDE at what stage. But the clear thing: this this needs to all be defined upfront. Um, uh, so, so there's, there's a system in place. In terms of um, how long it should last, so this, um, this I suppose, would be down to, again, client specifications. Um, the, the standard doesn't, doesn't talk about how long a CDE needs to be set up after a project's completed, um, but I'd, I'd imagine this would, this would follow your normal you know, contractual guidelines of, of retention of information, or the destruction of information post project completion, um, but it's just so so. But the CD should be live when uh, um, when the project is live as a minimum. Okay, thank you. And uh, I've now got a, a question for Raoul. Um, as uh, uh, Ketan has asked, um, how to go for individual um, BIM certification to audit BIM projects. So I, I'm assuming that Ketan is talking about uh, an individual qualification. Um, is there anything that you would like to uh, talk about around that for supporting individuals, Raul? Uh, yeah, thanks, Charlotte, and thanks, Ketan, for asking the question. So if I'm interpreting your questions correctly, question correctly, you know, you're interested in how can you go about individual certifications and. I just, as, as Charlotte mentioned early on, that uh, we are launching globally with BSI, you know, BIM qualifications and certification for, at individual levels uh, on 30th of July this month, 30th. Um, so, you know, if, please, I, I would advise that, you know, stay tuned, you know, attend that webinar and you will know more about the different types of qualifications that we are launching. And, and you can see the overall uh, pathways for uh, different different uh, professionals in the industry, whether you are from the asset management or project delivery or design, construction, um, you know, there are different pathways for different uh, professionals. Uh, so, um, unfortunately, I can't tell you anything more than this but one thing i can assure you is that uh, you won't be disappointed if you join 30th of july webinar and 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 you will be able to find out a bit more about individual qualifications then thank you thank you thank you raul um and a question for um well for for either gary or raul actually david uh, has asked um if we now have the uk bim framework as the which was the previous BIM level two, what is the equivalent for the previous level three? So who would like to answer that one? Uh, I, can, I can have a stab. So um, to my knowledge, and um, the, the BIM level three was still under uh, review in terms of exactly what, um, what it, um, it defines. So, you know, there's no, there's no, Standards that define um, BIM level three. Uh, I know. I know we have our 
a broad concepts that we want to that we want to follow um, and we have kind of a, a loose working definition but currently from at least from a standards point of view and forgive me being in a, a certification certification body um, we uh, uh, that kind of is our kind of core barometer for um, you know for, for definition um, there aren't any clear standards at the moment on on BIM part three so um, I'm not aware of any other um, body that is defining level three but I'm sure it exists I just don't know at the moment I'm afraid no no and I think the the key really is that we have international standards now and that's the direction of travel so um, just, um, uh, yeah. can, I, can I add a little bit to that Gary mm. yeah. yes please uh, yeah, so, yeah Gary you're right that there wasn't um, you know defined uh, you know you know process for level three BIM there was it was a vision it was a concept and I guess um, if you are comparing David, you know, level two BIM equal to UK BIM framework, then I think it's slightly slightly different because it, in in my opinion, UK BIM framework encompasses everything actually now all maturity levels of BIM, whether it's level one, level two, or or level three, or stage one, stage two, stage three, whatever we want to call it. Uh, the idea behind UK BIM framework is that it, it encompasses all you know sort of BIM uh, sort of maturity levels. So I, I would say that uh, in future, you know, when 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 it is published, you know, it would include the next level of BIM as well, whatever we call it, whether it's stage three BIM or stage two BIM or level two BIM or level three BIM, but it's UK BIM framework for the UK industry. Okay, thank you. And uh, I have a question, I think for Gary, um, Jitendra is working as a system integrator and has an EPC contractor um, and the question is who will lead the CDE? Uh, so again this this um, as long as there's there's a, uh, a a defined actor who's managing the CDE so again this can be flexible so typically we'd see uh, so, so the leader the leader sorry the appointing party should be managing the CDE um, at all pre-appointment activities, so the production of things like the PIR and uh, etc. That, that I talked about. When we move on to actual contract award, um, it would be up to uh, principally up to the, the, the appointing party to define who would who would um, manage the CDE. So this could this could be an external uh, company, uh, but as I said, it's typically those organisations that that are the lead appointed party. So so those organisations have a contractual relationship with the client typically manage the CDE. But as I said, as long as as long as the whole project team is using the CDE, using um, following the defined processes of the CDE, who's who's managing that holistically, it, um, it, there's, it, there's flexibility. Lovely. Can I, um, can I, yeah, can I please, do. please do, please yeah, do. So, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely, Gary, you're right. But just to add to that, you know, Jitendra, it also depends on the the region where you're from, you know, and the country and the culture and, and the procurement contracts, to be honest with you. So if you're acting as, an, as a system integrator to that EPC contractor firm, uh, you know, and, and, and if they pass on that role to you as part of your scope, then you will be doing it on their behalf. But as far as ISO is concerned, it's about, you know, whoever is that lead appointed party or the appointing party, you know, they set the rules there and, and then they pass on through the contract that responsibility to the next level down. 
So if the client has said the EPC contractor is supposed to manage the CDE, but then EPC contractor may not have uh, capability in house, and they might be looking at the system integrator to actually carry out that function or, or, or tasks on behalf of them. So okay. Yes. Thank you. And I think I know we are slightly over time, but I've got, I've got um, one question, may possibly two, depends how quickly we answer. Um, Freddie has asked if the appointing party is not participating in having a BIM project, can the lead appointed party be certified if they demonstrate conformance? So they're meeting um, the requirements of the ISO 19650 Part 2 standard. Uh, I'll take this one if you don't mind. Um, yep. So, so this is um, very common, particularly outside of the UK, or but it still is common in the UK, where essentially we have companies that want to deliver BIM. They're ready. They're 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 rearing to go, but they're basically just not being asked for it. It's not part of their um, of their contractual requirements. Um, so, because we're only beginning to really see clients realise the benefit. So. Uh, what 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 we see is um uh, as as again as a certification body um many of our clients they they you know they delivered bim they they recognize the benefits that they as an organization um you can forget about the the project as a whole but even them as an, as an organization benefit from using bim so what they're doing is they 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 um using bim as 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 business as usual irrespective of whether their, their clients or their pointing parties are asking for it. So, the, so BIM will be the standard um, uh, delivery uh, process. And of course, then if, the, if their pointing party does ask for specific BIM requirements, this can be adjusted. Um, so the answer is, the answer is yes, um, we can certify you. Because what, what, what we'll do is we'll look at, um, in the absence of a specific um, uh, BIM specification, uh, um, what is your essentially standard BIM offering, and that and 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 that will be defined at the project outset, and it's that that so you need you need to define all the all the requirements that essentially the client the appointing party would would do, and it's and it's that that we'd assess you against, and then of course up on top of that you need to have, your your processes would need to be flexible enough to cater for um, project specific requirements. So when the appointing party does um, does specify. Uh, information information management requirements, which would of course um, sit above um, your own um, standard BIM offering. Fantastic, thank you. And there is a, a really interesting question that's come in. Now, I'm not sure that we're going to have the answer right here, right now, but um, it's a question from Dr. Moses, who said, are there possibilities to use a combination of BIM, digital twin and data sensor technology to define carbon footprint measurement towards achieving near zero carbon emission. So I don't know if you have any thoughts. If not, I will take that question away and uh, find it from find an answer for Dr. Moses from our um, other experts. But any 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 thoughts at that point? Uh, not from me, but yeah, it's a very interesting question and needs um, you know further further exploration uh, with our experts on digital and smart cities and you know so yeah 
Absolutely. You know I, I think that's a huge, a huge topic in itself, really, and very Please. interesting. And I'm sure that's our, our general direction of travel. So um, I think I'm going to conclude now with the uh, the questions. Um, thank you, everybody, for sending your questions in. I do hope that that has been uh, useful for you today. Um, we have really enjoyed our session. And uh, again, just to reiterate, slides and recording will be available for you after today. Um, we will just tidy them up a little bit and then send them on their way to you. Um, so all that remains really is to thank um, Raul and Gary. Thank you very much for sharing your knowledge, your insights, your expertise, um, and to thank our audience from all around the world. Uh, it's been wonderful to have you with us, um, and we hope you can join us again soon. So. Thank you very much and take care. Thanks, Charlotte.